Welcome to End the Zone, guys. I'm your host, Garrison Roy, and uh, today we have uh, two very special guests, one that will be coming on a little bit later for a full-length episode, but if you haven't listened to any other episodes, we have rants where I'll go on a rant about a few things here and there. We also have some mental minutes and then also some educational deep dives outside of the full-length interviews that we'll have coming up. But if you got any questions, topics, or guests you want on the podcast, you can email those in at in the zone podcast 123 at gmail.com. And as you know, uh, we're all about some value exchange here. So as you share the show, the more people find out about it, the more we're able to spread information uh, to, you know, just the community of baseball and help them progress that because I don't make any money off this. I don't run ads. It's all purely just for, um, you know, everyone learning and growing together. But for today's episode, we have David Genest and then Matthew Swope will be coming on later, but they are both with Motor Preference Experts. So, David, what's going on? Um, very pleased to be with you. That, uh, as a, yeah, that's my first time in English, so I hope I'm going to do well. Oh, <laughs> but uh, I'm yeah. very happy to be with you tonight, and uh, I hope that people will enjoy to discover Motor Preferences and what they can bring to baseball absolutely well yeah we we kind of connected i guess first over a, a linkedin where you kind of made a comment on one of my posts uh i think the first one that you commented on was the one where i was talking about progression of throwing um you know you mentioned like hey guys need to take you know somewhat of a break off of throwing during during the year and things like that so um go into detail a little bit on, on that and like what your what your thoughts and philosophy is for that well, no, the thing is, um, people have to understand that our body is moved by uh, our brain, firstly, of course, and our nervous system. And working the same mechanics all year round can make the neural system a little tired. Uh, you need to give time to your brain, to your unconscious, just to remember the mechanics and to have like a kind of back step what you're doing daily um when i used to coach uh in like 30 years ago um i always had a break for about probably a month or two during the winter season for my players and when they came back we just did like a quick camp for three or four days and they the the, the their level just was there after four days so they catch back everything and it will they were even able to play better, I think. So they were more motivated, less tired mentally. Uh, that was pretty good. I mean, and I always told them to do something else, like go to ski or work out, oh, do sure, whatever like you want, just rest. step yeah. off. Yeah, just step off. And what, what age group was this? Was this a younger kind of... Uh, no, uh, I used to coach in France and in Canada, but uh, in France, it was from... Eight to uh, probably forty years old. <laughs> okay, wow. a large age range there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a long. Yeah, and I used to play. Uh, I used to coach in a little town in France, and um, also in biggest town with almost through every levels from regional up to national level. So, cool. yeah. Well, and to kind of preface this a little bit, you know, you were saying like, hey. Uh, you know, every coach in the industry has to realize that everyone's a human first. And I love how you mentioned that, too, about the brain, right? Because what's the first thing that's developed whenever a, a baby's uh, being, you know, formed in the womb? It's the, the brain is actually the first, first thing, whereas some people would think it's the heart. It's actually the brain. Yeah, our, our brain is very important. And some people think that we have a brain to think. And I'm going to tell them, no, we have a brain to move. <laughs> that's pretty weird but that's the way it is uh so it makes a difference between a, a tree and a human being that we have a brain because we need to move like a tree doesn't move that has no brain <laughs> it's a short it's a shortcut but that's the way it is 
uh, but um, you're right. Like the brain is developed pretty early, and also uh, the movements, like the cells move during pregnancy after, like after just at the beginning, from the beginning, each cell is moving with its own way. Like every individual cells are just moving their own way. So from the beginning of life, individual is is built mm-hmm. his own way. So that's why some people think that because we have uh, two hands, uh, two legs, uh, two arms, one one head and one upper body, we're all the same. But that's totally wrong. We're all Absolutely. different. Well, you're 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 born in different environments. You grow up and are exposed to different environments. You know, so like you said, like you're in Canada and France. I've personally never been to either one of those places. So like your t- total experience and worldview is probably totally different than mine. Yeah, but it's it's common depending of the continent where you're living. But it's also like without any judgment of value. Like if you take someone living in Africa, they have, you know, dark skin. When you go to Asia, it's a different color of skin. And if you go to uh, New Zealand, they have a different body shape. If you go to North Pole, they have also different body shapes. So like depending where you're living through generations body evolved to adapt to the environment. And that's probably the first reason of the motor preferences is to, to survive in the, yeah. to the environment. So our bodies adapt to, to that. Absolutely. And it adapts multiple ways. And, you know, that's where, you know, a, a newer, I guess, craze in the baseball industry is like people are going into, you know, the skill acquisition triangle, but it's like, hey, like, you got to go even deeper than that. It's more in just your entire life in general, where the environment that you grow up in, the tasks that you do every day, and then the organism or the person itself. A lot of people are focused on just that, which there's a lot of components to it, but you know, you have those multiple things there within that skill acquisition triangle and any part of life that, you know, even outside of baseball that can help you kind of find that. Right. Yep. No. And, and the worst, the, 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 well, how can I say that? The ima- amazing thing was how your body adapts to environments that the latest studies shows it also impacts your personality. Interesting. And that's that's where it's become very, very interesting for me. Like we can from from how you move, I can almost tell you who you are. <laughs> Which is pretty funny, but that's the way it is. So, you know, it's very it's going very deep. It is very deep. No, absolutely. Um, and I guess just kind of transitioning to this a little bit, you also, you know, you guys at the Motor Preference Experts, I, I don't know if Matt is, but uh, you mentioned the primitive reflexes and stuff. So like as the humans being developed, you know, they're they're born and then they're already starting to learn how to adapt and, you know, move around the environments based off of, you know, wherever they're at. Um, what are some of those primitive reflexes that you see that are, you know, really more of a, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for here? Just kind of more of a catalyst or uh, certain things that you think that every well-moving athlete or well-moving human should have, or if they're deficient in those, like what um, effects that might have, or maybe that's... Yeah, no, it's a little bit more complicated than that because... um, we have about 70 primitive reflex. That's what science identified so far. 70, 70? Seven, 70, seven, yeah. Wow. Um, if they are all properly encoded into your body, so during pregnancy and during the first four or five years of your life, you're going to be fine. Like everything, your body will work perfectly. Um, now, if there's a, um, a difficulty during the birth if there's something happened during pregnancy or if something happened during your first two years that can disturb the development of this primitive reflex your your body will like carry it i will say during your life and a primitive reflex it's a reflex so it's going to take over your motricity so um that's that's funny what you you, you just came to this uh uh, subject because I just watched a picture uh, probably three or four days ago. There's a young pitcher on Twitter saying how I hit at 98 or something like that. And I was like, oh, well, that's pretty, pretty good. I just watched a video and I was like, oh my God, he has a primitive reflex. 
And the primitive reflex is pretty um, it's pretty weird, but when he's extending his right arm at full extension, his head is turning to the right too. And he has no control about on that. It's nothing to do until it's going to integrate this primitive reflex. So what's going to happen? It's going to put tension in his neck. It's going to probably bring injury sooner or later. And he ha- will have probably also, it will be harder for him to keep his control, to keep his balance, just because he cannot control this primitive reflex. It's taking mm-hmm. over. But sometimes, so sometimes primitive reflex for an athlete um, can disturb his mechanics. And for any reasons, sometimes it's going to help his mechanic. <laughs> so that's yeah, that's be a help. It, uh, so you're saying either one of these could be a performance inhibitor or yeah, uh, yeah, got it. So that that's why it's very interesting to uh, make kind of an assessment with those with the athletes to understand if they have one or not, which one, and see with their own motor profile does it helps or does it disturbs. So and if it if it helps, we're going to keep it. But the athletes will know he has it, and we can work on his conditioning to make sure that he will not get hurt. Uh, if he disturbs, okay, like here we need to integrate it and move move up. Sure, yeah. So you mentioned the profile, and I, I remember referring to um, your article on the website that you guys have where you're like saying like, hey, what's an aerial versus terrestrial pitcher? Um, and you mentioned that there's a, a spectrum of these where like no one's ever going to be completely aerial or completely uh, terrestrial. But, yeah. For, for the listeners here, can you kind of describe the difference between these two and then how the primitive reflex is kind of intertwined? Um, okay. So primitive reflex, as I told you, it depends if it helps or not. So we can sure. just probably put that aside a little bit, but um, yeah. Um, so what happened is um, about 40 years ago uh, in Europe, two coaches, uh, two volleyball coaches, actually, um, just identified that sometimes they give, in, they gave, they give instruction sorry, uh, to their players and the player, some of their players was just cannot do it. And they try to figure out why. And yeah. they just and they just try to observe, and they they start to observe daily how their each player was mo- moved. Like, okay, he's moving this way, he's moving this way, and they just figure out that oh, some guys are looks like some guys are walking more from the lower body, and some guys just moving more from the upper body. So, to explain, that's pretty easy. Is um, you can probably just watch people walking in the street. That's that's the easiest way to yeah, watch people. Yeah. yeah, that's that's it. Because people are done thinking what they're do- doing, they're just walking. And you will see that some people are slightly lean forward when they're walking. It's like looking like their upper body is falling forward and their legs are just trying to catch back. Yeah, yeah. It's all like, yeah, falling forward. Yeah. Yeah. Some other people will be the reverse. You will see like, like look like the, the like the feet are pulling the rest of the body. Hmm. So it can be very, very marked and it's easy to identify. Sometimes it's thinner. So yeah, that's why between terrestrial and aerial, there's big range and everybody has his own position between those two extremes. Uh, so this guy worked. And a few days later, uh, the scientists can just jump in and say, okay, what's going on there? <laughs> and they made some studies and um, they identify what they call the duty factor. So I don't know if you know what it is. Um, that's a time your feet stays on the ground during running. Okay, got it. So and, like tracking distance, okay. Yeah, so... Uh, and they just find out like this 2D hundreds and hundreds and people and they're like, okay, some guys are just f- flying, I will say, when some other runners are just leaving their feet longer on the ground. And that's why the studies start from there and they just identify those two profiles. Some people are more flying, so they call them aerials. <laughs> and, and some other people are more um, leaving their feet on the ground, so they are terrestrial. Mm-hmm. Uh, without again any judgment of value because the animals are not the same size but I will say an aerial would be a kangaroo when a terrestrial would be an elephant so 
It's just a matter of an aerial likes to bounce. And if you watch a, a kangaroo, you will see it's going to lean forward to like kind of lose its balance and start to jump. So it's moving by going up and down. When, when an elephant is just moving like from like more horizontally. So like I, I just learned that in left an elephant, a running elephant, his head is not moving more than I mean less than a hinge. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? <laughs> so that's that's kind of um that's a little detail you can observe when some guys are doing jogging. You will see a more vertical head oscillation for aerial and a smaller one for terrestrial. That's really cool. So, so terrestrial. Oh. Oh yeah, I'm oh. gonna go through here. <laughs> Not sure if you can see this screen. Yeah. All right, which one are you seeing? Are you seeing the um, um, aerial terrestrial patterns? That's yeah. my that's my uh, trainer Cyril Jand. Follow down CEO. <laughs> yeah, I was reading into this a little bit and I was like, okay, so a lot of this, you know, aerial versus terrestrial, uh, from what I could find, most of it is in, in gait and running. Um, it's, yeah, it's in, it's in running. Uh, yes, mostly like aerial and terrestrial. Um, every time you're moving forward, <laughs> I will say it's involved. <laughs> Yeah. So it, it it's also um, it's using two different muscle chains. So the terrestrial are, I will I will say hooked by the posterior uh, muscle change muscle chain. When the terrestrial are using more their anterior muscle chain. So okay. Yeah, yeah. So just so aerial is more anterior. Post, you know, aerial. Oh, it's it's pretty weird, but that's okay. So yeah. aerial are using more their posterior okay. muscle chain so their back because they are hook on their back when okay. a terrestrial is more using his core and his anterior muscle chain because they love flexion so they need to be to use more their core so we used to say like an aerial would be more in extension because uh -huh. using his back muscles when a terrestrial is more in flexion using more core gotcha so kind of like looking at this yeah so here here is the thing that you can't see the the the, the weight shift mm -hmm. on our aerial is more forward when a terrestrial is more backward gotcha now question for you does can any of this necessarily change based off of how they train or how they're exposed to you know certain things in their environments and things like that that that's a, that's the hardest thing to explain to people is that's our genetic code. Nothing can change that. What you're going to do is the body will accept, I would say, some modification. But I used to say with Matt, it's a can of a tank. And when the tank is empty, you're done. So the goal for you to practice into your preferred muscle chain is to keep your tank full and you can still perform. Skip ahead the next 60 seconds if you don't want to find out about the company I co-founded, Ink Sports Performance. So here's the scoop. At Ink Sports Performance, we get it. We were athletes ourselves, former college and professional pitchers. We were also perform former college coaches as well. Rob and I, we don't do one-size-fits-all programs. We custom craft each training and throwing program and offer that one-on-one -on -one coaching support that you need where you're not just a number. We're all about that personal touch. We'll dive into your training videos, whip up some of the program designed to take you to your next level. Nothing cookie-cutter here. So if you, one of your friends, or maybe a player that you know is serious about competing at the next level, have, hit us up on our website, Give us a call, get that set up at inksportsperformance.com. And also, just a heads up, we're also very selective who we take, right? We only take a handful of dedicated athletes. And if you're not putting in the work, we'll have to say goodbye. So let's ink you in to the next level. Okay. And so when you're referring to the tank, 
what is that just the capacity of their movement or what 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 is the tank that you're it's more the capacity to accept what you impose to your body at a time a body doesn't accept anymore that i'm i'm an aerial if you ask me to 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 hit or to pitch as a terrestrial, I'm, I mean, how old I'm old man, but uh, okay, sure. there's no way. Like I'm, I'm gonna be maybe able to do it for three, four years, maybe perform well, but not even sure. But I'm, I'm gonna kill myself. Like my career will be very short. I'm, I'm, I'm 50 years old now, and two years ago I pitched 87, doing no conditioning, doing nothing, sure. just, re- just respecting my motor preferences. That's it. Gotcha. So you did you kind of already innately kind of already have an idea? Because I don't even know, like probably over 10 years ago in the baseball industry, a lot of people would say, oh, these guys is quad dominant versus glute dominant. And it sounds fairly familiar, although you guys with this is, is way more detailed and way more scientific versus just, you know, one or two, um, you know, muscles that are contributing, which, you know, I think is a little watered down in my opinion. Um, but you know that that kind of like idea or thought has been kind of been trickling down for a while. It's it's more detailed, but because um, for any reason, human being or the humankind wants to simplify everything to remember it. But right now we aren't like in in such detail. When you start to think three dimension, so you can see your global your body globally, mm-hmm. but think of all the movement like i don't think there's one cell in your body that doesn't move when you're throwing or or when you're hitting so that means each cell of your body is moving in three dimension too so how could it not impact your movement yeah no that's that's a good good question question. yeah (laughs) absolutely well matt just kind of popped in here in the chat um yeah we were kind of talking a little bit about uh as you inserted into the the zoom um you know can you actually train aerial versus terrestrial and i get where he was coming from and saying like okay hey like you can't take an uh someone who's more on the aerial side of the spectrum to train more like a terrestrial um in your experience have you ever seen anyone who's an aerial you know or maybe someone's maybe in the middle ground lean more towards one based off of their training or you know what he was saying was everything's kind of already in your and your genetic code. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think you can hit anyway, right? You can do anything any way you want. It doesn't mean it's going to be right. So, well, you oh, know, sure. when I as, as more of like I've trained and, and seen what I've, uh, you know, through him is when guys are tired or when I want them to do something in the cage and they can't do it and I'm getting frustrated, okay? Mm-hmm. It's mostly in these technical gestures and, and in the weight room when you try to get an aerial to get a deep squat, or when you try to get him to hit a certain way with a in his back heel to hold his finish, it doesn't look natural. It's not going to happen. So can we adapt? Have I seen guys do it through the training? Yes, but um, over the course of time, it, yeah, it's, how optimal is it? Yeah, yeah, it's just it's more frustrated me because I I, ha- I was trying to impose one specific way through torque force or you know the back pelvis swivel, getting to the back glute and, and hip, but. Aerials want to immediately extend out of it. So what did I do? I just got frustrated with them instead of understanding exactly what they're doing. So that's been the biggest eye-opening thing for me that we can adapt, but it's really connected so many dots instantly with all the things that you were frustrated about. That's been the most eye-opening experience for me. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think that always comes, it, it helps me remember a proverb that everybody's really familiar with. It's like, hey, for every person who has a hammer, they think everything looks like a nail. You know, and I think a lot of coaches are starting to come out of that where it's like, hey, not everyone has to look this particular way or in this particular mold. And that's what I try to reiterate really through all of my coaching is like everyone's going to be unique and have their own, um, you know, a- authentic way of their of how, how they move. So you can't have them, you know, replicate a guy that you see on TV or, you know, try to look an exact way. You could use it for like an uh I guess just more of a reference to be like, Hey, like here's an example, but don't, you know, put that model on a pedestal. Yeah. I think, I think athletes in general, we're visual learners, right? So immediately what we do, we go, we watch a big leaguer and say, we want to go be him. So we try to repeat that movement. Right. And we try to replicate it. And then we try to get the feel so we can go perform it on the field. 
Um, but really it's just not like that. So, um, that's kind of been our model, you know, for what we've done for so long because we're seeing success. So we equate success that that's what we should do. Um, but in fact, you know, that's, that's a lot of times it's the exact opposite. So that's been the, you know, that's been the biggest thing with my players is, Hey, we're just not going to go spend three hours beating our head up against the wall, trying to feel it out to make it right. You know, we're going to train less and, and know exactly what we should do. And that's going to save us a bunch of time, energy, and, and, and be more productive. hundred <laughs> percent. I love it. Well, I want to kind of shift back over to um, the study that we had pulled up a minute ago, where if you guys can see this side of the screen, mm-hmm. um, where they were kind of basically observing the, the different labels of aerial versus terrestrial runners that you're looking at oscillation of the head, arm movement, pelvis position, foot ground contact time and strike pattern. I feel like this does fairly kind of resemble some of the, um, if you want to call them like dashboard indicators or checkpoints and through a delivery or through a swing, it's fairly similar to what we kind of look at. Um, But I guess, David, for you, do you take these and then also, um, you know, take into account like, hey, throwing and hitting are different skills? how are these also going to be kind of represented or are they, do they kind of blend together? Um, no, it's, it's all linked to your body. Yeah. No, no matter what you're doing, your profile is showing up. It's as simple as crossing your arms on your chest. It's simple as this, no matter where you're going to do it, you're going to do it always the same way. Okay. It's a motor preference. That's a body. That's how your body wants to do it. He learns how to do it that way. When you when you during pregnancy, it's encoding your body. And if I ask you to change to switch your arms, crossing your arm on chest, you will see like you don't feel comfortable. So it's the way it is, and you can observe. Uh, most part of the time, when I'm, I'm making an observation of a player, I'm watching hitting. I'm watching running. I'm watching BP. I'm watching him. Knowing okay, that nobody record him, <laughs> oh, 100%. So, trying, trying, trying to find the most natural way uh, of his movement, and no, it's all linked. Like, there's the common point of hitting, throwing, running. Uh, I will say slipping. <laughs> Everything is your body, so there it's common. So what, what, what I'm seeing into uh, a swing, I can't see it in a in a throw. It's it's the same for me, the same thing, but it's complementary for me to get the information. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you're zooming yeah. out. You're seeing the whole picture because you're seeing. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing from a coaching standpoint when he was teaching me all this is like a switch hitter, right? Or there are two different people on both different sides. They do different things. They're not the same. So, um, but when they're throwing, it's it's a lot of the same things, but those motor preferences, you know, will show up in, in different technical gestures. So it's, it is all the same, but it's fascinating um, from a pre-pitch movement, how they steal bases, the way they do things. It's, it's, it's all related to the preferences, but depending on what side, where they're doing it from, it's, it's literally fascinating. So, um, you know, especially for switch hitters, I, I used to try to teach them the same way to hit on both sides. And then I got punched in the face when he taught me everything. And, knowing that like literally last year we had the big 10 player of the year. That was a switch hitter. Um, you know, he did something on one side with the left extension leg and then he did something set up a, a different way and finished with one hand on the other side. And all we did was have these little check checkpoints and, and motor preferences. And it wasn't even close to the same swing. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I love what you said there too. Cause I mean, you, you always have the nuance of the guys who hit one way and then throw it the other way. And you're like, hey, why can't you like you're hitting really well? You can get a hinge down, but when as soon as you go throw to the opposite side, like it's not the same. So mm-hmm. my question to you guys both, I guess, would be okay, like, can you have you, you know, you probably could get super deep into this of like PRI and stuff like that, like how the hips and pelvis are or the pelvis and mm-hmm. uh spine and everything are oriented with the rib cage, but what and in your guys's lens, like what are you seeing? when one guy can actually hinge on one side, but then they go to the other side and they can't do that. Is that just a skill or is there a, a reflex um, pattern there that, that you guys look at? 
You if want that to question makes sense. Um, so if I got it, just asking <laughs> if if a guy can do one like a swing on one side, it's not performing on the other side. That that's what you're asking. Yeah. Well, you, you yeah. For the for the sake of simplicity, let's keep it at a switch hitter. Um, it's 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 very hard to to answer to that question uh, because there's so many things involved. Uh, can be uh, can be vision, can be fine motricity, can be like most part of the time switch hitter. Uh, what we call fine motricity is more involved than anything else. So that's going to take the first the priority on on everything. Uh, but you can you can adjust and adapt the swing from each side because. Um, I'm, I'm an aerial, uh, with a specification called uh, what we call associated. So I got a very small X factor. Uh, so it's Separa very small separation, se small gotcha. separation. So associated being the, so that, yeah, as far as I know, associated, associated is, yeah, associated, dissociated. So I am associated because I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> it's becoming complicated. Hey, but if if I'm if I'm swinging if if I'm swinging on, on the right side, uh, I'm gonna keep my associating and aerial side effective, and I'm going to left. It's gonna be the same. But there's one thing that we call uh, laterality. So I'm a right-hander. Uh, my body likes to engage the right side. So when I'm hitting to on my right as a righty. I'm going to push more with my back. So when I'm hitting on his lefty, I'm going to pull more because I'm switching side. Okay. Um, so this is more small details like this. Got it. I got it. I got it. So, yeah. And I think like when you're talking about PRI and you're, you're talking about some of that stuff, we're, we're some of that stuff we're still putting, trying to put people in buckets, you know, and that's, that's always the, that's always the problem. That's the opposite of what we're doing. We're literally, getting every you know fine comb through every tiny detail and then applying that and that's the difference in what we're able to do so if you go watch a middle infielder you're talking about hinging or better on one side or the other you go watch him do a backhand and aerial is going to want to get to extension where maybe a terrestrial is going to want to drive um you have them go to their glove side it's it's going to be pretty similar about how they throw on the run so Yes, you're you're going to be able to adapt to a certain degree but their preferences are going to be obvious when you film the two um, in, in my experience. <clears throat> gotcha. Cool. I like that. And I like what you said there too. I don't know um, if you guys ever want to go back or even any of the listeners reference back to Alex Effer's podcast where he's like took some PRI methods, but then kind of also saw multiple different patterns and it wasn't, you know, the two buckets that most people that study that are in. So yeah, there's, there's multiple layers here and you can't put them in a versus B. Um, you know, so just kind of being devil devil's advocate here, and I'm not trying to like, you know, make this seem weird, but if you're aerial terrestrial, is that still a bucket or like what we mentioned before, it is still on a spectrum. So um help me kind of answer that for maybe some of the listeners that might think that those are buckets. No, those those are not buckets. Um uh, it's on it's on a spectrum, and you can be very, very terrestrial or very, very aerial. Um I mean, there's everybody's different, so that uh, we are we are what eight billions on Earth, so we have eight billions profile. <laughs> that's that's what it is. Um, that's why we are doing assessments for each player uh, because uh, a motor preference can take over another one, and vice versa. So it's really hard to say, okay, no, he's doing this and this and this. This is the way, and he can apply this to all the same profiles. No, it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, that's that's something that also involved is your uh, Cormic index. So it's something that I don't know if you know what it is, but this is your the shape of the body. You have some guys with long legs. You have some guys with longer upper body. More so anthropometry type stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So just by this specific structural difference, it's that the profile is already different. Sure. So yeah. there's there's no global model. There's nothing like when I'm watching some videos, some guys say, oh, you know, have to, you have to, you must have a big separation to throw hard. Yeah. No, I love Just, it. I'm, I'm always asking why. <laughs> Just no, ask me. <laughs> I, I think that's a great point, you know, because everyone thinks that like, oh, hey, you have to have this or you have to be in these positions, um, you know, and they don't take into account or look at the whole picture or, you know, and I think yeah, this, yeah. 
associated versus disassociated part. So just kind of stay on the topic of hip shoulder separation. And I, and I say that in quotations because is it actually that? I don't really think so, but um, you know, it's, it's more of, okay, Hey, like how is your body structured to be able to move efficiently and produce force? Um, That's called coordination. Very true. Coordination of what though? Coordination of your body, your body. I mean, every movement we're doing is based on an intention. I want to do this. Okay. And your brain and your body are smart enough to do it. I want to save energy. So I'm going to make it sure that my movement is efficient. So I'm going to, can it's repeatable. It's, it's safe for me. And why? It Because our body wants to survive into an environment. So it's protecting himself by saving energy and be very efficient. So it's called natural motricity or coordination. And if it's, I mean, if it's given to us by nature, I cannot understand why people think that we are we have weakness somewhere. Doesn't make sense. Sure. Uh, I mean, we have I mean, a, a a coach outside of that and trying to make us do something completely against what we're. Naturally I mean, doing. body is wonderful when you and and instead of watching what a lot of people and I did it myself in my when I was a younger coach, like, oh no, you're not strong enough on, on this specific part of your body, or I want you to rotate more. I want you to do this, to do that. I was that, wrong. I was yeah, just that, wrong. And that's the struggle every day, right? We're doing screenings, we're doing this. And I've I've learned, you know, throughout the last year and a half with him is is these these imbalances could be our strengths. These asymmetrical strengths is all that matters. You know, it's not yeah. trying to make everybody symmetrical and and when you talked about before putting them in buckets of, of aerial and terrestrial, but then we have all these other categories that all change that and they're all different as well. So there's that's the first question I get when I'm given um, a talk or something about this. Well, if you're aerial, does that mean you're in this bucket? Or if you're terrestrial, does that mean and you're in that bucket? And no, it, it all can change and be different. All and That's why this stuff is so complex. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think, you know, from a PT standpoint, from a strength and conditioning standpoint, you know, we're still working in silos a little bit, uh, you know, and the actual sport and the technical gestures of, hey, I, I got this certification through NSCA or whatever it may be, or this type of, and now I'm, now I'm going to apply this when I watch every single day, people in the weight room squat and they don't like the front squat. They get immediately to their forefeet. So what do we do? We put weights under their heels. We, we put them on a platform forward to give them range of motion, which is exactly the opposite of what their body needs and what will help them perform. Okay. So these are things that I've learned over the course of time from him that, um, you know, is, is trying to understand the biggest thing he's ever told me that, that, you know, I tweeted this the other day was if there's, if there's no pain, why is it a weakness? Hmm. And and if there's, that was the best thing. If there's no performance inhibited, then why change it? Yeah. But, but that's exactly what we do. We do every screening with a mobility issue or, or lack of IR, ER mobility. And we immediately appoint something to to help them with that immediately that's what we do all across the board um and and it's actually the worst thing that you could probably do so that's why i was saying instead of viewing it as a weakness they need that imbalance to to have it be a strength and we're still very far away me being in the world that i am we're very far away from that still oh 100 i mean i could probably name two organizations in the pro level that actually don't operate completely in silos. The rest of them, you know, are, are definitely on that. And even then there are a lot of roadblocks and, you know, egos and stuff involved with that. And like, Oh, Hey, we've always done it this way kind of mindset. So I totally get that. How have you like over at Maryland worked with the strength coach or how has that been evolving? Because I know it's never going to be like a total 180 flip, but how, how have you, kind of had conversations with the strength coaches and stuff there to kind of help out with that. Well, first of all, it was terrifying at the beginning, you know, a year ago was the first year I implemented this stuff with the hitters and I kind of kept it quiet because, you know, again, there's livelihoods on their line. There's this, you know, my job depends on winning and losing. This is not for fun. So, um, you know, it was, it was very tough for me at the beginning, but you know, we have a very open-minded staff, you know, I go talk to the, to the PTs or strength trainers. Do they agree with everything? No. 
Um, I think what I'm able to do, though, through an educational platform that, that David has taught me is to be open minded, because if you are now, we start to connect the dots here and there on things that really didn't make sense, maybe in the book. But we understand why they're moving this way mm-hmm. and, and maybe either why they're hurt or they're struggling or, or any of those things. So um, thank God my staff on, on the actual team um, has been unbelievable and, and everybody's open and we're implementing this stuff in every single aspect. From we change the catcher's gear um, and put specific lines and colors on certain things to um, everything. It's that detailed. So from pre-pitch movement, focal or global, lines they're picking up. I mean, it's so incredibly detailed. Um, and that's a credit to Dave. So it, I had to start, you know, small. But, you know, it's no different than, you know, you bringing in a mental conditioning coach and they're, they're, they're making you go through what your pre-pitch movement is from a relaxation standpoint and visualization. It's the same thing. Does it take effort because it's not comfortable and something you've never done? Yes, it does. But when you do it every single day for a year or four months, it doesn't become that difficult anymore. It's just part of what you're doing. And like what David said is when you're putting people in their natural preferences, they're no longer stressed. They're no longer exerting more energy. They no longer need to practice for an extra 45 minutes because they feel good. So, you know, the mental aspect of it is what I've seen is the biggest part. They, they're not questioning themselves anymore on what they should do because we've proven that their body is stronger in these positions. I love it. Yeah. And if they're stronger in those positions and, you know, if they're hitting bombs or the dudes with the bat in their hand are going back to the dugout for the size of the pitcher, then, Hey, keep doing what you're doing. Right. Like, yeah, I think what Dave said too is like at the beginning, there's a difference between hitting 300 and not really knowing how you hit 300. And then there's a difference between hitting 300 and feel like you got yourself out when you got out. Those are two totally different mentalities and thought processes and confidence levels. And that's, that's more of what I see with our better players. They know they got themselves out with that type of confidence other than, man, I'm hitting 300, but you know, I don't know if I can repeat that movement or I don't necessarily can't tell someone what I'm doing or um, I'm still trying to feel stuff out. Those, those are two totally different ends of the spectrum. Oh, sure. Well, you could break that down on the mentality side of things, too, and be like, oh, yep. hey, like, that guy is more of a victor versus uh, victim type of mentality mm-hmm. in a way like they still like, you know, hitting's hard and you're going to barrel things up at, at some point. But if they can't, you know, pinpoint or have that confidence into what they're doing, then yeah, it's definitely not going to be a lasting, you know, career or, you know, they might be able to do that for a month, but what happens whenever they go to May, June? So yeah, totally with you guys on that. Um, Now I did have this pulled up and I wanted to just kind of hear some of David's thoughts, but Matt, feel free to hop in on this too. Um, From the article that, I pulled up from from your guys' website where you guys uh, compared Snell versus uh, Darvish. And funny enough, I heard through the grapevine that Darvish has to get hip manual therapy done to help open up his internal rotation. Um, I can't tell you exactly the source of that, but uh, I thought that was kind of interesting piece of context to kind of give you to kind of see what your thoughts are. Um, But I think this would be a good description for some of the views and I'll probably use this for maybe a social media post too on how, you know, these two are a little bit more on the opposite ends of that spectrum to kind of help conceptualize the aerial versus uh, terrestrial uh, movement motor preference, I should say. So. Yeah. So uh, yeah, snail, snail is an aerial. That's for sure. Yeah. Terrestrial. (laughs) Yeah. So you, you you can see different things like um, if you watch Darvish, you will see that he's going to kick his leg not that high because he doesn't need to bounce. So he's going to kick his leg less higher than Dar- than uh, Snail. And, and also you can see the difference of knee flexion, back knee flexion, which is like terribly different. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. And and it's a different different angle, but it has more flexion. Uh, Darvish has much more flexion. Well, I would and, say too, the biggest thing would be, this is just from my untrained eye and you guys, but like even just how their foot is being pushed. Yeah. 
you can see that snail is more on the toes, like he's more on the forefoot when, when Darvish is more on his heel side. Yeah. Because a terrestrial likes to have weight, like his center of gravity backward, when an aerial likes to have his center of gravity forward. So that's why there's a big difference there. Um, also, I can see some different details with arms and stuff like that, but it's, it's going to be very deep. But you can see also, look at the front foot. Look at Darvish. What is it showing? It's showing his heel when Snell is, is more flat. So you have some different little cue that makes you, oh, oh, okay, we have two different picture styles. That's interesting. So I guess if, if Snell just so happened to be stumbling in a place that we were throwing and we told him to have a front leg like Darvish, which, you know, in my perspective, I don't, I think it's a little too distal for them to kind of even cue anyways, um, as far as going from the midline of the body. But if we tried to get him to do that, that would be going against his motor preference, correct? Oh, Matt, you need help me on that one. <laughs> yeah, he was just saying if if we tried to get him to to have the same kind of uh, front oh. front front leg as Darvish, like yes, that would be completely out of profile and yeah, it's gonna hurt like him. It. Yeah, no, it's gonna hurt him. Yeah, it's gonna be hurt. Like there's no doubt, he's gonna lose his control. It's gonna be less balance. Everything is starting from a balance point. So even vision is not really important. You have to be balanced. If you're not balanced, you don't have a good perception. If you don't have a good perception, you cannot analyze well. If you don't analyze well, you cannot do the, the proper move. So everything is starting from a really balanced point. And I can see like you, you uh, well, Darvish should move a little bit more because it's sure, quite you want to keep going. Yeah, no, it's it's just because yeah, the front front foot landing is probably the most critical. Uh, part when the difference between plus Darvish looks uh, I will say looks because I don't okay it's very difficult for me sometimes to watch pictures um, that's why I don't like to just give my um, I will say my uh, guess on observation because it's I mean the model is there are so trained in such way that sometimes I think they're losing their own motor preferences like I know it Motor preference is going to take over at one point, but it's too much standard standardized. But you can see here the difference, of course, of flexion of front leg. You can see that's a big difference between those two front leg. Okay. Uh, okay. I will probably I'll just just uh, probably half a second before we will have probably a different back foot too, um, and also you can see that the upper body is not leaned the same way. That's one Darvish is very vertical when snail is more backward. Mm -hmm. um, so all these different things, uh, also the probably the, the ball, the way they hold the ball is probably different. I cannot see Darvish. It's hided by the cap, but it's probably different too. Mm. Um, so all these different things, make sure that one is terrestrial when the other one is. Aerial. So if you start to ask, for example, snail to do squat, to do concentric workout, to have more flexion in his leg, uh, maybe I would say it's probably vertical too, because at this really point, his arm is very high. Um, so if he has a, a vertical organization in his body and you're trying to make a long, larger stride, you're going to kill him. That's exactly what's going to happen. That you, after three, four, maybe six months, you, it's going to be a mess for him. Like you will not be able to pitch anymore. And I, on the opposite side, if you start to do ask Darvish to do plyometrics and to start to generate more vertical move, that that will not work. Hmm. So by knowing motor preferences, you're sure that you're going to work how the body wants to work so you're not building on you're not trying to compensate weakness you're you're building on strength which is probably really different yeah no absolutely so the the, the most diff um i'm quite sure yeah darvish is, looks very dissociated for me but i i will say that probably i think snail is not uh i'm not really sure he's dissociated so but you can see the different. Okay, just keep going on snail stop, and you can see how vertical is right arm compared to Darvish. So you have probably Darvish. I will say it's probably, probably horizontal more than vertical, but snail is very vertical. 
Great. So yeah. that's that's about the organization. So that's why we have side harm. That's why we have because harms moves is a mix of three or four different motor preferences. Some are taking over the, the others, but snail has a very high release point. Um, I don't know. I didn't look at which motor shoulder he had, but um, you can see like even at the release point, watch at the legs, how different they are. See the front leg, the Darvish is still in flexion. Yeah, he's still in flexion here. Yeah, so yeah. When, when when Snail is already in extension because he's an aerial and he likes, he's going to do an extension earlier compared to Davish. The thing, it doesn't mean it's, I really want people to understand, it doesn't mean it's bad or good. It's wrong or false. It's just different, but they're going to reach the same level of performance so just moving differently that's it but the result's going to be the same sure and if you respect that very specific motor profile players i mean studies in france in europe about injuries are crazy like uh um, uh league elite league team soccer team in france so like the best division of soccer in france Worked uh, for about a year and a half now with motor preferences. Ratio, injury ratio decreased from 70%. 70. Seven zero. Do you imagine this in MLB? Be nice. The, the biggest thing that, that he taught me was, you know, understand information is great with data on that, but, but knowing how your body wants to produce the move is a game changer. And when you have the ability to know how your body wants to produce the move, that's everything that any athlete has ever wanted and that information. So that was something very on that was the probably stuck with me the most was having the accountability and knowing how you want to produce the move. Um, yeah. Then then you can use the drills, the key, the cues, the feels to constrain them in their motor preferences or, or maybe out of the bad training that they had. But um understanding how their body wants to produce the move under stress and, and energy and all that is was crucial for me. Okay. Yeah. I guess that leads into another question for me. How do you assess that? Or how would you, do you give them a task for them to find out? Like, for example, hey, throw this med ball up against the wall and see how they move through that without any cueing or anything like that, or without it being too relatable to the skill, but still close enough to where you can still pick out some things. Would that be one? Yeah, no, we're doing, uh, I would say probably 20 or 25 different tests. <laughs> it's okay. physical yeah. tests related to coordination. I don't want you guys to give away any arbitrary information in it, by any means, but just I'm just looking. No, it's just physical physical test of coordination. So how your body is reacting in specific position or doing specific moves, uh, even spe sometimes specific colors, which is pretty fun. Um, but yeah, no, that's the way it is. So from this assessment, I can build a profile and I'm also watching different things with a player walking, jogging, throwing, swinging. So uh, generally, it, can, it takes me between three and seven hours to do a profile, depending on the probable player and what so the player wants. Different tasks or different, you know, observing different skills. Yeah. Different skills, different. Yeah, it's it's. Um, oh, Matthew knows how to run that now. <laughs> we did all the players, uh, but uh, no, it's the way that. Yeah, we are doing tests, assessments, physical tests, and we can include more. I have more. I have some counter jump tests or stuff like that. We can do view two max or stuff like that too to to introduce into our when it's going very high level, and uh, and from that, yeah. I'm just drawing a profile and tell people, okay, you should try this one. <laughs> you should stop that one and try this one and just see how it goes. Did you, tell not... about the, did you tell them about your primitive reflexes yet? Yeah, we just, I don't know if we, yeah, we talked a little bit before. Uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's the wrench, right? When you think you got it all and then it's like, nope. So. Primitive <laughs> reflex. So. Yeah. Matt, what's we we kind of did touch on this a little bit, and he inter introduced us to it. What has been your takeaway from the, you know, just primitive reflex, or like, is there anything that you can start to grasp 
while observing guys over the past few years? I mean, just when he when he shows me, I can grasp it. I don't have I don't have the level of detail that he does yet. I'm I'm better with the motor motor preferences, but the reflexes are very difficult for me still. But what I what I can tell you is, you know, even within a profile, I can start to if there's a person that has issues daily, say you're training them within profile or even at a profile that we just <clears throat> kind of used to get frustrated at them, right? And just didn't understand. There's some there's some commonalities between some some players that I could start to realize that hey he may have something else going on, mm-hmm. so it's a lot easier for me to get to that point based off my lot knowledge of the motor preference or the assimilation of the information that I'm giving them daily. Like for instance, we've all been in the cage or trained somebody that one day you felt like you made a bunch of headway and and, and gosh we really made some progress, and then the very next day they look like you never even talked about any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's another indication that with some things that it's kind of correlated with some primitive reflexes but you know i i call him i call him the wizard for a reason um i i have to refer more but but i am more cognizant of it and when he shows me and and stuff i'm I'm definitely getting better at it for sure absolutely well you know that's that's just what you were talking about where you were you know giving an example of like hey they were crushing it in the cage one day and then they were totally different the next like the body's a dynamic system they're not always going to be, you know, you use the, the, uh, I guess analogy where like no man stands in the same river twice because they're not the same man and it's not the same river. That, that's, that's why MP helps because, uh, when you're tired, it's your, your body's going to use in priority your motor preferences because it doesn't want to get t- more tired. So you're going to, he knows he's going to save your energy. Uh, so even when a player is is in his MP swinging or throwing and you see he's struggling, it's just a time to stop. Like, okay, just go to rest. Or something else happens outside of the field, some stress or something like that. Yeah, That's the difference that what Matt told earlier uh, previously is uh, when you're inside your MP and you know them, you have the answers. You're not asking yourself about what's going on. You know the answers. Like uh, uh, all the players with the MP hole heaters will never say, "Oh, this pitcher is throwing gas today. I'm, I'm scared about whatever is dominant." They are not saying this anymore because they know how to react. They know how to deal with that. They know how to place their head, to place their eyes, to place their hand, to be quicker, to be safer. And even if they strike out. It's not a matter of the pitcher being dominant. It's a matter of, oh, that was probably my weakest zone in my eyes uh, dial, in my vision dial. So they can now observe and they can now understand what happens. And I think having the answers is probably the best thing for an athlete because there's no more quest about how to get better. You know how to do it. You just have to deal it daily with it. That's it. Yeah, I think the other thing too is the way that I started to see pitchers differently was we we have this hundred pitch mark right from pitchers. You know, once they get close to a hundred, it's like, hey man, he's got to get close to coming out. And what I learned earlier is there's a total difference between someone laboring and and using the wrong pitch usage to get to a hundred, and there's someone that's cruising to get to a hundred, and that's within their motor preferences, and they're not going to be nearly as as stressed, and there's not going to be nearly the wear and tear in the body. That's someone with an MP. And that's completely underrated because we just view that as a number that he must come out. But there's two totally different um, scenarios of what's actually going on in the body. So that's another way to kind of look at it from that perspective. 100%. I guess that that is something that, you know, a lot of guys can toy with in their head. It's like, okay, hey, like, is this actually, you know, this arbitrary number, like something that someone just puts out there? is totally different stresses, whether that's the pitch count, uh, you know, something to do with a sensor on the arm or, you know, you name it, or even in the weight room, like a certain amount of weight. It, we, it's totally different. We have 90 different sensors to analyze what's going inside our body and outside of our body. And our brain is treating information and the finger snap, so it's really quick. Mm-hmm. And f- if you can just make your body on your brain relax enough to 
I don't have to focus on what I and I have to do next because it's natural for me to do it. Then you can focus on something else. And that's where it becomes very important to be into your MPs because you don't have to think about what you're doing. You know you're going to perform at your best. That's it. So you can focus on something else. You can focus on strategy. The, the best improvement I have seen so far with hitters into MP is a delay of taking decision. They have more time. They can't see the ball longer. And I had a discussion with Matt Show, what it was, two weeks ago, I think, uh, Matt. And he just told me, like, I have more time. So that's because you're in your NP and you know how to react. So it saved, it's a better timing for, for him. And I think it was what best MVP player last summer league, something like that. So it was, he is pretty big, big player, actually. And he yeah, just told me, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Matt. No, yeah, he's talking about Matt Shaw, who was, you know, hit 22 homers last year as MVP of the Cape, should project it first rounder. It's just, that's been the adjustment. It's right. It's like when you're putting them in these MPs, he's like, oh, I just have to do a better job of, of you know, relaxing and, and I have more time. So I have to make that adjustment where instead of maybe going to attack it or compensating from a, a muscle or a body part to go do something, I feel like I'm just in my comfort, like in the zone longer. Um, so that's been, that's been the, that's been the adjustment more in my players and say, Hey, yeah, you, you're, you're going to be quicker. Okay. It's not that you're out front. Don't look at it as a bad thing. We need to start to just understand this is going to be a good thing for you, um, in the long run. So, um, yeah, that's been the biggest thing. Adjustment that I've had to make with hitters is, is just, you'll have more time to make a decision, which everybody wants. And so, yeah, I guess last couple of things here obviously kind of wrapping this all into a bow because the podcast is called in the zone. Um, how I guess sometimes from my perspective is like, Hey, like, are you just being a little bit more externally focused versus internally focused? Or is there, you know, just knowing like, Hey, like instead of me tensing up and muscling things through this versus being more relaxed, loose, free and easy. Is that kind of what you're getting at as far as like how it's helping them get in the zone and not have to worry about it? Or is there other new, I'm sure there's probably other nuances to it. Not, well, I would, Dave, I could say just from a coaching perspective, right? What are, what are we doing? What's the sign? Is we hitting and running? Are we bunting? Who's on base? What's the pitcher doing? What, we're, we're, we have all these things that are happening at one time. But the goal and what I've seen in our players is that they're not thinking about any of these things. They're just they're actually they're actually not thinking about anything at all. And and when they're in those preferences, now we're not having those stressors and those triggers that, you know, allow us to, to actually fail. So for me, like he said, it's, it's, it's just, I know this sounds cliche, but just actually going out and playing baseball, well, you know, instead of at this high of a level and at the major league level, everything is surrounded around stress. All you see with players is stress. All you see is them worried about performance. All you see is worried about all these things mm -hmm. because we're at such a high level and there is pressure. But when they're the biggest thing for me, when I've seen with these guys is when you give them the answers to the test per se, they take so much accountability and knowing what their body is doing, that mental freedom alone is, is something that they've been searching for their entire lives, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so that's the biggest thing I see. And Dave, you can answer it the way you want, but it's almost just like, you know, you're watching the sandlot on, on the TV and you're just. You're literally watching kids just go out and play. And I know that sounds ridiculous at such a high level, but, you know, as a coach, all I see the stress on the players, I see their worries. I see these things on a daily basis and just such an alleviation from that when you can take some accountability in what your body wants to do. Nothing to add. <laughs> Nothing to add. Love it. Awesome. awesome. No, the, the thing is, just remember when you were a kid, and you did like your first home run. You did your first best play, the one, the first out you will probably always remember. How did you feel at that time? I mean, it was natural. Nothing, just you, you were so powerful at this moment. That's MP. That, nothing else. You were into your MP. You, you were in you, tune you, with your body. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it makes, and, that's what happened with all the players I'm coaching here in, uh, in in Ottawa. Is like 
those kids are just smiling after two or three hours. It's it's as quick as this. When you start to understand how your body wants to work and you can adjust and adapt your swing or your pitch or even catching position, and they're just smiling because there's no more, you know, the no pain, no gain. Ah, doesn't work. <laughs> doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. I think I think no pain, no gain exists just to justify you're outside of your motor profile. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Cool. I love it. I love it. Well, guys, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Um, is there anything you want to add or, you know, kind of final thoughts for the listeners? Um, and I'll obviously plug yourselves to at motor preferences experts is I think the Instagram handle, but, um, yeah, go for it. Matt, I'll let you go for that. Yeah, no, we, we have a web, web website. It's, it's motor preferences, experts.com. Uh, uh, we're on Instagram, Instagram and Twitter. You could just put in the search engine motor preferences and we'll, we'll pop up there. Uh, we just kind of started getting out there on, on social media, just starting to put stuff out. Um, but for me, it's just, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm giving some perspective on a coach that's been playing baseball my whole life, you know, playing at the professional level. And I mean, I've been doing this for, for 12 years and, you know, it's been the most mind blowing, um, experience in the last year and a half that I've had with David. So it's changed my life, not just from a perspective of coaching, but from how I raise my children, uh, what I do on a day-to-day basis. And, um, this is coming from someone that our team was uber successful two years ago and led the conference and everything. And I scrapped everything last year and completely changed it all. So I understand the fears or what, what people may be going through, but the willingness to learn and be open, you're getting certified through driveline, through on base, you're getting certified through all these people because you want to learn and be better. You know, we're bringing something to you that's, that's life changing and a game changer. And that's, that's all I can really say from, from my perspective. I'm just so thankful that um, Dave's brought me to this journey and we, we, we kind of came together and we're here to help grow the game with no narrative. We don't have a narrative. We're trying to coach the individual. Um, and we just, we just want to do that for each individual person. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Well, for those of you listening, appreciate you tuning in, share the show. If you got any value out of it and stay in zone.